Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle, and I am your host. Today, I'm lucky enough to be giving you a roundtable discussion about boundaries with Corwin, Ken, Gina, and Sarah. They're all polyamorous who have been uh, in different non-monogamous relationships for between 5 and 20 years, depending on which of them you're asking about, and uh, we're lucky to have them with us today. So, uh, as always, you can find my blog at readyforpolyamory.com. Uh, you can support the blog and podcast at our Patreon or Ko-Fi, which you can find the links to in the podcast description. Uh, and for today's guests, you can find links to Corwin's next class in the uh, episode description as well, and to Ken's book, Stories and Sins, uh, which is available now on Amazon. Gina and Sarah are friends of the podcast and blog who are here out of the goodness of their heart and not trying to sell you anything. So... Uh, as always, our intro and outro music is provided by the extremely talented Vince Conaway, whose website you can also find linked in the description. Today we're talking about boundaries. Interpersonal boundaries define basically all of our interactions with each other, not just in our romantic relationships, but in pretty much all of the times we deal with everyone. We have boundaries around time, finances, uh, our physical bodies around around any time that we do anything with our possessions, with um, our choices of how to interact with people in general. A sort of great overall definition of boundaries is the rules that we make for ourselves about what we will tolerate or these sort of lines that we will set in terms of where interactions with us will be forced to end uh, if someone doesn't abide by them. So that said, here we go into our discussion. And I've opened this discussion during our recording session the same way that I just sort of did with you. I started with a very general definition of boundaries and asked all of our guests if they had anything to add, and that's where I've cut you in. I guess I would just add that I think boundaries are definitively something you decide for yourself as opposed to something that you implement on somebody else. Um, if they choose to have whatever boundaries they have, that's them. And it's, it's kind of like boundaries are more of deciding for yourself in terms of, of things. I don't know if everybody feels that way, but that's kind of how I, I tend to look at things. Right. Boundaries are something that's set by a person for themselves. They can include consequences that are set for other people if those boundaries are violated, but boundaries are set for oneself, not for other people. Cool. So, so long as we're all in agreement on that. Basically, there can be all different types of boundaries. They can be physical, material, emotional, sexual, intellectual, time. Are any of these challenged differently in polyamorous systems than they are in monogamous ones? And if so, 
how? So I think that when it comes to polyamory, basically everything is just multiplied by however many people you have and however many relationships you have. And so uh, you end up with things like boundaries with person A might be, you, you might look at them differently, you might enforce them differently, or they might be straight up different boundaries because the nature of your relationship is different than with person B. Uh, so I do think that there is some difference. There, I don't think it's a fundamental thing, but it's in the same way that like your you know, ex-wife number one and you might have had different boundaries than your ex-wife number two. Uh, like if you have, you know, two concurrent partners and, but the nature of those relationships is different, uh, you, you might care about certain things very differently. Uh, you know, you might insist that one person sleep next to you every night and the other person doesn't live with you and doesn't sleep next to you. So you don't care about that. That's not a boundary you have. So that particular example, I think starts rubbing up against what's the difference between a boundary and a rule that example of somebody sleeping next to you every night is sort of the key example of a rule rather than a boundary right like let let me rephrase maybe it's a you don't sleep next to me at night (laughs) nobody (laughs) sleeps that's my boundary i don't sleep with anyone don't try to don't ask about it right so that could be a boundary that you hold with everybody but then that gets away from the point you were trying to make about different boundaries being set with different people in polyamory it certainly is possible that you might have those different boundaries or different ways that you want to interact with different partners but is that a difference between polyamory and monogamy or is that just a difference between your interactions with different people Uh, i would say it's it's a a broader than polyamory thing like there uh growing up uh in my family we had what we called uh backdoor people and front door people the backdoor people had uh basically the boundary with them was show up at our house anytime you come to the back door, you come inside, you visit certain members of the family and whatever. And like other people were front door people. You have to make an appointment, you show up, you know, you, you, we know you're coming, you're expected, you knock on the door, etc. You know, there, there were guests and non guests. And I feel like that's sort of a, a boundary because, and it's analogous to how much privacy do you want from a given partner and, and, or from a, uh, metamor or whatever, and you're setting those boundaries for yourself. So, so I think that it's not exclusive to polyamory, but is critical to correct execution of polyamory. So, I think that um, that's the sort of that that there isn't an essential difference. I think the boundaries are boundaries, regardless of where they fit. You know, they fit in to individual relationships, whether or not they're monogamous or polyamorous or family or friends or sworn enemies do you have a lot of nemeses to have that experience there this may be a digression but i'm pretty sure nemesis is singular i don't know if you can have multiple nemeses it is a of course you can haven't you read roxanne gay's twitter her (laughs) multiple nemeses are how she powers her ability to have a career it's amazing and wonderful and we all deserve that in our lives so like, I'll say basically 
my overarching answer to these kinds of questions is like, is polyamory different than monogamous relationships has always been like, there's a lot of similarities, a lot more than you think. And it's all the same stuff. It's all interpersonal relationships, communication, whatever, until it's not. You're always going to run into that, like, but this situation wouldn't have happened with only two people. Uh, and I do think that there is some consequence of that, that like you might not see certain kinds of boundaries or you might not see like this idea of like, you know, enforcing boundaries uniformly and fairly across the spectrum might not apply the quite the same way because you do have different kinds of relationships and different kinds of people, uh, you know, or like you might have things where all of a sudden you're not the only one enforcing a boundary or like it's a, it's not just your boundary because you, you and your partner have a boundary that apply, that suddenly gets crossed by a third partner. And now the two of you are trying to figure out what's the sort of least common denominator between your two boundaries and how to like enforce the, whatever the action is triggered by crossing that boundary because now there's multiple people. So I think it's just, it's the same basic like fundamentals that just get applied in funky ways, I think. I'm thinking of something like specific to poly that, per, that might be a difference between boundaries that you might have with, with two different partners, which might be something along the lines of fluid bonding, um, of just where you're at in the course of the relationship. Um, you may have one partner that you has, is an established partner and, you know, there's alternative forms of birth control and you've been tested and all that fun stuff. And you, you're fluid bonded, whereas, you know, potentially with a newer partner, if there's you know, pregnancy at risk or STIs, or just they might be, you know, like I'm speaking from somebody who's kind of in a, in a relatively closed situation for, for a fairly long period of time, um, especially due to COVID. Um, whereas like, you know, somebody newer, they, they may have more partners and it might not be safe to be fluid bonded with them in that particular thing, or just, you know, based on your own risk analysis, um, that, that particular boundary that's different with each partner is based on, you know, Oh, some, sometimes emotions can, can get, you know, put on things, but, um, it might just be a logistical, this is your boundary based on, you know, your relationship with that person at that time, you know, not necessarily like it is stagnant forever, but it is, you know, what's needed as your own boundary based on the relationship, so. And I feel like that's a really great uh, like example too of how you can be manipulated out of your boundary zone and how easy um, it can be to have that one overstep specifically. Well, right. And there's also, I think fluid bonding is a good example of one that in polyamory gets enshrined in rule format a lot by sort of whoever gets there first, as it were, um, and then can become, once it's enshrined in rules, used in a manipulative format, impact the other relationships within the network. And it doesn't have to be, but it certainly can be affected by like, oh no, but I'm worried about these other effects regardless of sort of the logic of it. 
sometimes becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's kind of related to things that happen in some of the toxic monogamy things that form a lot of mono people's boundaries around relationships. Similarly, you end up in situations where like the boundaries that they have got formed by a media background and a cultural background that looks like or that's informed by a lot of rom-coms and looking for the one and once you find them you'll never need anything else rhetoric and so they meet people and then go oh well why would you need friends who are of the gender that you're attracted to right but then you get to a place where oh but then bisexuals can't have friends there are no friends only prey you know like (laughs) um And a lot of these things have become normalized for a lot of our society. And similarly, fluid bonding being an emotional rather than logical decision has become normalized for a lot of our society, even though that doesn't necessarily make sense in a lot of cases. Um, And so the enactment in rules of boundaries around that is something that you see fairly often. Uh, Not to say that the enactment in rules of boundaries is always a negative thing. In fact, it's pretty much the, the only available enforcement measure if it's more than one person with the same boundary trying to enact it together is by going, oh, we have made an agreement. This agreement we're going to call a rule and roll forward with it, <laughs> right? Like, I think, but... oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. I, say, I, think, I think for me that the, the primary distinction between a rule and a boundary is that a, a boundary is about yourself and a rule is imposed upon others, even if there's an agreement that comes from a boundary that turns into a rule. I still think it's a, a weird sort of not super healthy position to, to be sitting in because you can make boundaries for yourself that as a consequence of us living in relationships with other people do change situations for other people. But if you make a rule that imposes something upon other people, then I feel like you've, you've taken the step too far to just keep using the fluid bonding example, for instance, if, if one partner doesn't accept that fluid bonding is a thing and just sort of willy nilly, you know, whoever they, you know, if they hook up or if they have a bunch of partners, they don't really use any sort of form of contraception or, or whatever, that's their choice for themselves. Any of their partners could make the the choice for themselves that, well, if you want to do stuff with me, we use those. And that is, can be looked at as an imposition upon the first person, but to me would be a a self-chosen boundary that gives the first person the choice of, well, you can meet my boundary or you can choose not to do the activity that impacts my boundary and neither sort of creates an ultimatum to me. And and so instead of it being a rule that you partner who's being willy nilly have to use contraception, 
the the boundary is I choose to use contraception with you or with whoever else I'm using it with. Does that make sense? It's sort of a a, a dividing line, I think. Kind of. Uh, the situation I'm talking about is more one where it's we've agreed that we're not using this together. Now I'm going to say that you shouldn't do this with anyone else because we've made this agreement. Right. And to me, that's a rule, not a boundary anymore. Right. And, and so and it's the imposition and therefore probably inappropriate. Right. And that's what I just said. I'm saying right. there are times where you can decide that you both have the same boundary and that you're going to therefore agree to both hold the same boundary but the times where it's imposing on someone else are the times when it's inappropriate maybe i didn't say that clearly did i say it more clearly this time or have i just talked myself in a circle because if I've talked myself in a circle, I'll just cut it out and post. <laughs> I think you said it clearly both times. I'm just not entirely sure I agree. <laughs> it's always your right to uphold your own boundaries. And it's always your right to end a relationship if you really feel like you can't stay in one now because of something someone else has done, regardless of what the situation is. And I think that's really important to keep in mind because situations where people cross lines or boundaries and expect to not find consequences or act like the consequences are overly punitive when they're proportional are more common than situations where the consequences are excessive. At least in the experience of my experience and the experiences I've seen sort of walking around in the world. I don't know if that's true in everyone else's opinion uh gina what do you think does that sort of match what you've seen uh it definitely does i have uh definitely been in situations where i'm trying to in place certain boundaries that are for my physical health my mental health and um i've definitely met um pushback for my reaction when those boundaries have been overstepped um and it's really frustrating to to not be met at a respectable and appropriate level uh when it comes to things that you're trying to do to be your best self and to be safe and to feel comfortable it's almost like i feel like that can kind of almost bridge like a gaslighting part two when you're trying to uphold these boundaries for yourself when you have a reaction to those boundaries being broken and the person's then saying you're overreacting and I didn't do as badly as you think I did or it was fine this other time right especially when it's a repeat of a thing that you've discussed before I know that I've been in that position where it's become a pattern and in one direction or another, it becomes a conversation where one partner or the other is going, but 
this isn't exactly like the last time this happened. So mm -hmm. I didn't cross the boundary in exactly the same way. Right. So, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Picking <laughs> <situation. laughs> apart the semantics so hard that they miss the point is really difficult to, to function with because you're trying to, you know, discuss from a framework of like, you know, this is, this is who I am. This is what I need. You know, let's try to work with this. And then it's like, you kind of feel disappointed and frustrated when that happens. Um. Yeah. And like with polyamory too, like part of our like motto is like communication is key. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, we are kind of, we put this expectation on each other that we do communicate, hopefully in the best, like healthy way possible. Um, but when, when it comes to that communication, like there, there's that part of like, is there really such a thing as over communicating? If you are over communicating, why are you doing that? Is it because you're trying to avoid that person picking it apart and trying to find a loophole or or what have you so that expectation of the communication is that uh kind of exercising like active communication so that you both have a clear understanding of of where that line of boundary is or just to make sure that you both are on the same page with something right something a therapist of mine told me to try that I've been finding kind of useful is communicating for comprehension. So basically repeating the point back and forth to each other until you're saying the same thing. Like until the point mm -hmm. is really getting across because so much of the time it would be that we weren't hearing the same thing as each other and then when we were this was with one of my exes that I was getting accused of rules lawyering because I would be trying so hard to get the point across that I'd be like laying things out point by point and as someone with a legal education I would be literally lawyering it um, and nobody wants to be literally lawyered in the middle of a fight. Yeah, that's a protocol that we actually, like, in my industry where I deal with people that tend to have a lot of expert knowledge but also are not great communicators, that's exactly what we sometimes have to do. It's like the fail-safe slow communication protocol. I repeat it to you, you repeat it to me, I repeat it to you, you repeat it to me until we've both said the same thing at each other in like a single pass. It, it, it works for everything, but it is incredibly slow. There's um, definitely things like that in terms of, um, in, in my field too. I mean, I, we're in different fields. I work in medicine um, and, and I don't do this type of work anymore, but there, there was like a, this whole setup for communication in terms of of patient care and you know here's how to lay it out and this is this is it and like a formula to follow which is interesting because i never thought about that quite with relationships and communicating in the course of relationship putting that professional communication skills 
into our relationship communication skills can sometimes be a thing. Um, uh, for, for me, who pretty much works in professional communications, <laughs> um, I've, I've sort of found that when I'm running into that same problem, defining the terms can be really helpful for me where, and I think that that relates to the boundaries discussion too, where like if, because words have connotations for different people and terms and, and things like that. So in communicating a boundary or a crossing of a boundary, it's easy for us to say it made me feel X and for someone else to hear that in a totally different unintended way. And for other people to say, I thought the boundary was something else because they misunderstood the setting of the boundary. And so sort of, I think that, that there's a, to slow the process down even more by sort of defining what you mean by the things that you're setting. And um, also what your expectations for crossing of those boundaries might mean in advance, which isn't always possible. Obviously nobody knows how they're going to feel in the moment usually, but some expectation of that, like I have sort of, mental deal breakers in relationships. If certain things happen, I'm out, uh, you know, or at the very least, if they become patterns, you know, that kind of thing, or other things that I've set up as boundaries will initiate a conversation. And so I try to set those expectations when I set the boundary. And I think that that can help alleviate the sort of falling into the pattern of, oh, I didn't mean to, or I thought this was different or whatever, because the terms have been defined in advance and you can sort of short circuit some of the uh, potential manipulations that can happen around boundary setting, I think. Like <laughs> throughout the whole man. Like I, I feel like I feel like not you're not playing within the the larger establishment of everybody's on the same side and trying to make everybody as happy and fulfilled and uh uh, successful in the relationship as possible. So like they're not in that same game. So, you know, and sometimes you can't, and sometimes it's a single fight where like they were having a really bad day and you didn't know about it yet. And you said the wrong thing the second they walked in the door and, you know, by the next morning, everyone has apologized. Right. Well, and yeah. it's just making a point of not being an apologist for a larger pattern of that because you need to hold firm to what you want for yourself and what you deserve for yourself. And you need to hold firm to having the discussion about it, the discussion that might look an awful lot like an argument because usually someone who is willing to fight with you about the fact that well it's not this thing that we talked about and this thing that we talked about it's this thing over here that we didn't define is willing to make it more of an argument than you wanted to have you have to stand up for your boundary that that isn't a subject that you're going to have them pass judgment on. If that's one of your boundaries, that boundary has to be stood up for and whatever consequence you've set for that situation has to be put in place. I feel like there are some things too with like personal uh, compatibility 
too, when it comes to sharing and having these types of conversations. Because if, if you are expressing that something is a boundary and whomever you're, ta- you're speaking with um, is kind of fighting with you, like whether it's because they disagree with it or because they don't want to respect it, that's something else that's really important to keep in mind. Because the people who will actually take care of you and be good to you are people who will uh, be willing to listen to those things or to like apologize if they overstep because they value you and they value who you are and what you need to also have a healthy relationship with this person. So I feel like there's a lot of uh, people who end up in these like struggles with boundaries that are more often than not with someone who isn't actually the right fit in like a more long-term sense. The real quick point I was going to make is that boundaries are sort of like trademarks and trademark law, right? Like if you have a trademark, but you don't enforce it, you will eventually lose it because the government is going to go, you're not enforcing it. Therefore it's worthless to you. Therefore there's no point in keep us keeping granting you this registered trademark or whatever. So yeah, like if you have a boundary, you got to be prepared to enforce it. Yeah. And I think sometimes just over having a va- you know, the more relationships you have, it kind of helps sort out what works for you and what doesn't work. Um, I mean, I have, I have been having relationships for like 30 years. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, and so it's like, I've kind of, and I've had very, a lot of different varieties of relationships and you know, long-term monogamy and long-term poly and, um, and kind of over the course of things you really, sometimes I think I, I end up having so many boundaries that it's just like, I end up having like over the course of the last decade, probably like I have a lot of like first or second dates and then relationships that last years. Cause it just tends to be like, okay, check. I'm, I'm going to check you off before this NRE kicks in because I see this big red flag right now that we're not going to fit. So I don't know if boundaries are, they're, they're complicated. <laughs> I think none of us have made the point that sometimes it's hard to set boundaries in the first place. Like I give an example of a time when it's hard to hold a boundary, but for a lot of us, it's hard to set them in the first place. And Sarah gave a great example of the fact that she's gotten older and with time found it easier to identify and sort of internalize her own boundaries to the point where she recognizes where she needs to be and where someone else needs to be to be compatible with her so that she doesn't have to have such a giant negotiation with people to figure out whether or not they're compatible, she can go on a handful of dates and go, oh man, they're going to try to trample on everything that I want to set here. So I'm not even going to bother to let NRE kick in. But (laughs) But it can be hard to set boundaries because of sort of internalized beliefs about like not being worth it, about not having the right to set these boundaries about it being dangerous to say no or about our role being to please other people 
or just not oh. wanting to be perceived as the person who makes it hard. Right. Yeah. And like just wanting to belong too, right? Like when you want to be part of the group, sometimes being part of the group means not making waves, right? And not making waves means not setting a whole ton of boundaries. Or sometimes it can be that you like grew up in a house where appropriate boundary setting wasn't super encouraged. And sorry about my dog, you guys, because there has been howling and now they're scratching at the door. Um, and if you grew up in a house where appropriate boundary setting wasn't super encouraged, it can still be hard as adults to figure out where our boundaries are in the first place, much less which of them to share with other people. Like, it's one thing to know them for ourselves because they're about ourselves, so we're the ones who need to be aware of them the most, even more than telling them to other people. But we need to be able to tell the people who are involved with them some of the time. And if we've got all of this other stuff, sometimes it can be hard to tell people about them. I mean, that doesn't even get into the, the exponential complication of changing boundaries after they've been set, which is certainly something that happens. Uh, I'm sure all of us and probably everyone listening has been in that position where one thing was a boundary at one time. And now, now our level of comfort has either expanded or contracted and like trying to say I know we've been doing this this way for a long time but now I kind of need us to for me do it this way or I need to do things in a different way and setting a, a, an altered boundary or a changing boundary can feel to the person you're discussing it with like a, like a, a, a change a, a, a really visceral you know, weird situation, I think, where it's, it's, it almost feels like rule setting or, or double standarding or, or something weird, but that I think it's important to recognize that it's okay for boundaries to shift over time for yourself. And it's okay for your partner's plural boundaries to shift also. And like, despite the fact that it's hard to be sort of in that shifting world, we sort of have to get good at, at uh, accepting and absorbing those changes when they don't conflict with our own boundaries. I think that's why check-ins are so important too. Like it, and it could be a, a frequent check-in depending on like the type of boundary that's set. Like, is it a case by case thing? Or if it's like, hey, I noticed you've been doing X and Y. I remember you had said whatever boundary and I just want to check in and, and see if you're still feeling that way or if something inside you has changed. Maybe we should talk about it if we need to, like, just so I'm aware, if you want me to do things differently, just to kind of stay on the same page with the person. Because sometimes things evolve and we don't even realize it. And it's not until someone asks you that you check in with yourself and are able to actually have a conversation be like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, this was different. Hmm, I'm okay with this. Or, oh, I didn't realize I was doing this. Thanks for bringing it up. I still would like to maintain whatever it is that I have set. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I think like, so when we're talking about on the previous episode, the show that uh, we were dissecting, uh, one of the things that they did in one of the episodes was like, they were, one of the groups was very rules-based, but they started all of their check-ins by like stating what their rules are. And they had like, I forget, six or seven things that they were like, these are our rules. Let's go through them before we have any other discussion. Uh, so I can see that being like a, you know, let's state what our boundaries are, at least as pertaining to the discussion we're going to have beforehand. Uh, but I think, you know, the other thing I want to say is we just said like, you know, you should know your boundaries. Like I find in my experience, people don't know their boundaries until they're crossed. That happens way too often. And like, Maybe it's a good idea, write down your boundaries and have them, you know, as a reference for yourself so that you can tell other people about them as opposed to making them up when like the boundary is crossed. I mean, even if, even if that's how you discover that something's a boundary, it, it seems that it behooves us to then examine it closely and figure out why you felt like a boundary was crossed there that maybe was new or, or something. Um, and I kind of like, I kind of dig the idea of like a list of like, you've got a little card and on that card. It says, you know, these are, these are my boundaries, uh, you know, and, and this is sort of the thing. So uh, it's sort of like a, uh, an old style, like um, personal greeting card, you know, you just sort of, hello, uh, how are you? My name is uh, uh, Ken and uh, uh, this is my, my card please uh, come calling and we will have a formal high tea uh, so long as these are amenable to your, uh, uh, your situation. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's like the jealousy workbook, right? Like the, the thing that you, Love you can the use. Jealousy workbook. <laughs> right. Like it's okay. sort of a general. Well. <laughs> like, but no. <laughs> To, to, to me, it's a know thyself thing, right? Like I, I have seen way too many people go, okay, now that I'm in this situation, I have bad feelings about this. And one way to fix the situation, the bad feelings is to create rules or boundaries and like weaponize them around this so that the, I, the situation can never happen again. And like, this is my biggest thing is uh, with rules or boundaries or whatever is essentially like seeing you know, weaponizing them, like that meta conversation of like, what, are you setting this boundary because it's a boundary for you? Or are you trying to propose this rule because it's something important to you or because it's a reaction to what just happened? And like, that's where, you know, if everything is going swimmingly, my boundaries are unlikely to change, uh, you know, because nothing is happening. I usually reevaluate them at those junction points of like some shit just happened that made me feel differently than I normally would, what does this mean for me? And that's where like, it does get tricky to like, okay, so now is this a good time to change it uh, or, and to reevaluate these boundaries or, you know, is this too soon? I mean, that's one of those places where the regular check-ins that Gina was talking about are really helpful. Well, I think that comes, I think that probably comes back to the self-awareness point that you were making uh, a moment ago in that, you know, there's a, a lot to be said for avoiding uh, avoiding boundary crossing and avoiding bad reactions to setting boundaries by looking at sort of internalized bias, you know, and just to sort of 
go hot take and easy example on this, like gender folks who are, who were socialized uh, as male, for instance, have a, a lot easier time typically setting boundaries around certain areas and a lot harder time sometimes respecting boundaries around other areas. Uh, and so we folks who are in that camp uh, need to be really aware of where those lines are and where we've been socialized to uh, be bad at noticing a boundary exists in a place and make sure that you're being extra aware of that or checking in around those areas. Whereas, you know, if, if you're able to be aware that like, uh, like in my case, you know, you grew up with the knowledge that there are some people in your family or in your life who are backdoor people who can come and go as they please uh, in your house, you should probably make the people you live with aware that that's a bias that you have and that, uh, you know, maybe you should check and make sure that doesn't cross one of their own privacy boundaries that you're going to be like, no, no, this group of people just might show up in the house. <laughs> like that's probably an important thing to know about yourself or about an important bias to recognize about yourself. And I think that applies to everyone and that every sort of, uh, inherent socialization or bias has an impact on what boundaries you set and what boundaries you're good at respecting or noticing right off the bat. So sort of that self-awareness piece of it is a really good way to avoid boundary related conflict to a lot of degree that maybe you won't necessarily always get to with a hypothetical discussion. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, for me, it's, you know, again, I am, when, when it comes to rules and boundaries, I'm very process oriented. How did they come into existence and why? And, you know, what, and how will they be enforced and what's the process for that? Uh, so I can definitely see that, you know, it's, uh, it is interesting to me when I watch people react to like discovering that there should be a boundary here, but there wasn't because like, and I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with not setting all your boundaries up front in a relationship and saying, this is my card. It's not going to change for the next 10 years. Like we're going to do another census in 10 years. And that's when my boundaries change. Like they can change on the fly, but at the same time, you have to, in, in my opinion, it should be something where you examine it very critically and look at, do I actually want to impose this boundary on myself? Am I ready to like, would it be fair for somebody else that I'm in a relationship with to put out that same boundary towards me and like, would I, not fair, but like, would I be okay if somebody else had the same boundary? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that analysis. I think, yeah, I think that's really a good point to, to be consistent about whatever your, your boundaries are. And, you know, if you recognize something within yourself where you need to establish a boundary that if another person has a similar boundary to be able to respect that, that kind of is a very good point fundamental. I think also boundaries can be self-protective. They're not things that you have to put on a card and give to somebody else. Most of them are just things that you have to protect for yourself. But it's, boundaries in the sense of like polyamory, right? In the context of polyamory. Well, in the context of polyamory, sure. There are a few that apply to our partners and 
how we will allow ourselves to be treated. And the majority of them, the consequence is just we will have a stern conversation about how we will allow ourselves to be treated. But it's not like most people have a list of a hundred of those. Uh, if you were exposed to COVID, I'm not going to come see you. That's a boundary. Um, yeah. You know, if this, then that. And those are the boundaries that for polyamory or for, you know, monogamy or any non-monogamy non relationships really do matter. Uh, you know, the I won't eat 10 Big Macs and I will pay my rent on time. I'm not going to allow myself to like not pay my rent. Like, yes, they relate to me as a person, but those are not the boundaries that are going to be crossed by other people that they need to be aware of. But I would argue that some of those do apply to other people. Like, for instance, uh, one that I can think of off the top of my head is I don't have long-term, long-distance relationships, for instance. Long-distance relationships, for me, once they reach certain thresholds in, in intensity or entanglement, are very painful, very hard, and I try, try never do them. And uh, when I've crossed that boundary of my own, it has usually, I think, always been painful and terrible and ended poorly. And it resulted in another person also being hurt. Now that person uh, often knew that that was a boundary that I, of my own that I was crossing, but it didn't really sort of impact them because it wasn't one of their boundaries. It was one of mine and they weren't crossing my boundary, I was. So like, I think that sometimes those personal boundaries that we hold are easier to cross because they're our own, but can also have sort of detrimental effects. And so you sort of, uh, I think also need to be aware of those too. I had a very stern conversation with myself. I was going to say, absolutely. Um, and you know, just understanding those boundaries and how they can affect other people. I mean, I have a similar long distance boundary, um, for similar reasons. I, I have a very, a big boundary of, I don't get involved with people who have another partner that has veto power. And the, for them, for, you know, I've run into many instances where that's, that's a deal breaker. You know, it's like, you know, this is my, this is my anchor nesting person, spouse person. So what, you know, whatever. Um, and they're like, yeah, they have, they can, you know, call at any time or they can, if there's a last minute change, they can do that. And, you know, I've had to, through different partners and different sets of experiences, I've made that kind of like a, a thing. But I would rather have it get in there and get known before it's a situation where we're emotionally entangled and then there's a big conflict because of it. Um, and then somebody's hurt. And it's kind of, and so sometimes having those boundaries to understand like, yeah, I'm limiting myself because I have these particular boundaries that people might not fall into. You brought up Vita power. <laughs> yeah. let's all talk about how much we all love Vito power <laughs> uh Vito corleone power uh, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah no the Vito power thing to me is i have both been in and seen the situation of my boundary is if you sleep with that person i will break up with you that's that's the boundary i you can't sleep with a person like that and so that's my boundary. And how is that different than veto power or a rule? And it's functionally not, even if like you phrase it different ways. And so I'm curious to get people's thoughts on like 
their experience, I guess, was veto power. Yeah, that's veto power with a wig. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I believe it's called a beard, I think. Uh, (laughs) A beard? (laughs) I think think that the, the veto power is usually used to refer to like, you're not allowed to be with X person. But I think it applies more broadly than that in that like, if, if uh, in that a veto is functionally an ultimatum. If you don't follow my instructions on this, then uh, I'll break up with you or I'll end the relationship or whatever. I, I think that ultimatums when imposed on the behavior of other people are functionally the same as veto power and are therefore not always bad because they can exist for self-protective reasons. You know, if you are abusive of me in these ways, then, then the relationship is over. That's functionally an ultimatum and a boundary and a, you know, veto of the other person's activities, but I don't think it's an unhealthy one. So I think that it's a, a, a grayscale area, even if the commonly used, you know, veto, which is, mm, I don't like this type of person. So don't, you're not allowed to sleep with Right. Me. I'm going to distinguish that from veto for the purpose of this conversation, just so that we don't twist all of that into one thing, because it shouldn't all be one thing. Don't take away my grayscaling. I am taking away your grayscaling right now because it's the kind of grayscaling that almost killed Jonah Mormont before uh, they ruined Game of Thrones. So, (laughs) uh, basically, we're going to separate those two topics. Ultimatums, when used to potentially remove yourself from abusive situations, fine. Veto power a separate thing that we are now opening the floor for discussion on. But what if you're vetoing abusive people? Is that a veto or is that the first thing? If you're vetoing abusive, if you're like abusive people towards your partner, right? Like if you're saying I veto your new partner, you know, your, your partner Jane is day or sorry, your partner Alice is dating Bob. I'll use a and B here to make it simple. Uh, Alice wants to date Bob. You know that Bob has been abusive to Bob's exes. So you don't want your beloved partner, Alice, to date Bob. And you say, you know what? If you date him, I don't trust you. I don't like you. You know, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Our relationship is at that point over. That's effectively like- vetoing. Right. So like that's veto, that's ultimatum, that's whatever you want, but you're not directly- placing yourself in a situation where you are the one going to be, you know, getting abused by Bob. You just don't want your partner abused by Bob. Or maybe you have an ulterior motive. You just don't like Bob because you think he's better looking than you. Uh, you know. <laughs> right. I have and a curious can apply oh. all the way through past the point where the relationship is formed and is ongoing. Veto powered isn't just before they're dating. It can exist at various points feel free to debate amongst yourselves whether it is permissible before a relationship starts when people first get together afterwards like whether there's a point where it stops being permissible i, uh, I don't know i think 
power can look different ways sometimes. Um, I think of a situation of somebody, this was 12 years ago, so a long time ago. I when I, I was dating somebody for a few months and I, at the time I was single and we had a, a big date and his wife just called and was just yelling at him on the phone the entire, you know, she knew where he was. She knew me. She was just screaming at him on the phone for 45 minutes about a whole lot of things. And at that point, I kind of had to say, okay, if, if this is what needs to be accepted for the relationship, which was kind of a veto of our time together, then that, that was a boundary for me that I couldn't accept. I mean, aside from the big, like, if you, you know, ultimatum, this person or me, or, you know, kind of vetoes, but um, sometimes it can be like little things like that. Um, and and those are like the little nuances that I I find keep coming up in poly. Right. That, that, that thing. That's an actual gray area of veto power. Yeah. Is it someone vetoing you? They're just being disruptive the whole way through as opposed to outright saying nope i'm the primary partner i veto this person and the technical term i've heard is asshole <laughs> <laughs> and and it's sort of like that it's kind of like in those situations you question you question the shared partner kind of like okay this this person doesn't this person i'm i'm caring about doesn't really seem to have a good handle on boundaries and you're kind of like reflecting upon their boundaries and whether their boundaries work for you and it's 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 the bigger the polycule the harder it is because everybody has a different idea of of, of what those boundaries are you know and what works for them and what's acceptable and what's not and it is so I, have, I have a scenario that i am i have a question about how what Go you guys are, how you guys would think about um so i was in a situation where i was with a long-term partner and we we both had history with someone who kind of like shook everything up and left a lot of like uh trauma <laughs> um on my my end um when it when it came to that person of like just not feeling very trusting of them and their actions um not necessarily believing that they're like the worst person in the world but not having the best motives or best way to get the things that they want um but so I was in this situation with my partner and they're like, hey, I'm going to go rekindle this friendship with with this person who is still causing you trauma to this day. K okay, bye. And asking, hey, um, I still have a lot of trauma with that. And because you are a long term partner of mine. I don't feel great about it because I don't trust this person. And I guess would would you say that me asking my partner to trust me that they aren't a great fit in general that they don't add things to my life so they would probably rub our relationship the wrong way too like would you consider that part of that gray area would you put that under like a almost like a veto thing it didn't end a relationship, but it made me really upset when I found out things were agreed upon and then dismissed. I think that's more 
expressing your concerns about someone to your partner because you didn't say don't go and you didn't say like from what you told us of your story I think you didn't outright go well don't go or I'm packing a bag before you get home and you didn't like call up every five minutes while they were out to make sure they had a terrible time it could fall into that kind of gray area if you then sort of laid into them when they got home about how terrible it is that they're still interacting with this person who has a negative effect on you I guess um I don't know from what you've told us i guess if it were me in in that scenario in your partner's position i would not feel like i'd been vetoed i would feel like you'd expressed concern about a person that you have uh, potentially good reason to be concerned about and mm -hmm. then it's on me to decide if my desire or want or whatever to rekindle with that person is more important to me than your expressed need to not be associated with that person anymore. And so to me, that doesn't fall under veto. That falls under sort of expressing a, a boundary that's a need and asking the partner to weigh whether or not they're wanting to be with that person is a need or a want. And like, if it fell under want, for me, I'm probably gonna be like, well, I don't necessarily, if it's just a want, I don't necessarily need to violate your need for that. But if it was a need, I would probably be like, okay, well, let's talk about how I can respect your boundary and keep you as far away from this person and keep this person from interacting with you as much as you need, while still trying to explore whatever it was I felt like I needed to, which would become a fraught and awfully complicated situation, I'm sure. But to my mind, wouldn't be impossible if very challenging. <laughs> so I guess it would just be a, a judgment call as to whether or not the next step is negotiate a way to accomplish it decide not to accomplish it or whether or not it moves to there's no way to negotiate a way to accomplish this so either don't do it or do do it and know that there are consequences thanks for your input i appreciate it i think i have a slightly different perspective i mean to me that's again that that's that's sort of veto disguise like it or potential for that situation i'm not gonna say specifically like what happened with a specific situation but that kind of situation i can see basically saying yes that's that is exercising a form of veto power because like let's face it how veto power works is you say if you do this thing i am done with you because that's the ultimate power that you have in a relationship is to leave and if it's not rising to that level if it's a if you date this person i'm not going to see you quite as often if you date this person I don't want to go on like group adventures with this person. Those are not veto power. If it's the, I don't want you dating this person because I'm uncomfortable with them because that's my ex, because that's your ex, because that's an ex of my ex partner, whatever it is, right? Like I have a pretty hard and fast rule that like, don't date my exes, right? Like if you're going to be partners with me, unless it's like, there may be an exception there built in somewhere where like, 
maybe it's something that makes sense. But like, if my relationship with somebody has ended, I don't want them as a metamorph. And like, to me, that's an okay kind of boundary veto, whatever, right? Like, it's not a, I don't want you to check in with me about it. It's like, here's a short list of my exes that like are still around this area that I don't want you dating. And I feel like that's very reasonable. And like, whether it's exes or whoever, like whatever that list of categories is, if that list of categories is like people with penises, like that, that's a different thing. But if it's, you know, a legitimate reason to say, I don't want to be metamorphs with this person. And if you decide that that's important to you, then I cannot date you. Call it what you want. But like, ultimately, I think you have the right to exercise that in that regard. Is this the hill that you're willing to die on? You know, is is this the the subject matter that is worth ending the relationship if you don't get what you want out of it? If it's not, then I don't think the veto or the ultimatum is the choice that you should ever put on the table. If it is, then that's the only topic of discussion at that point. There's just there's no more middle road there. Uh, if, if you're willing to die on this hill, then you've got to make it really clear that this is the hill, you know, and if you're not, if this issue is not a one that you're willing to end the relationship over, then you don't issue the veto power to Corwin's point about the idea of the ultimate power in the relationship is to end it. Uh, I don't think that that power should be exercised unless you really mean it. You know, there's a, there's an old political uh, theory about um, never make a threat that you don't intend to back up. I think that counts in in relationship politics and polyam politics amorous. No, that one didn't work. <laughs> politics. Uh, I think it applies there too because the the there is a very 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 short list of things that I, of hills that I would be willing to die on once I'm committed to a relationship. And unless I'm on that hill, I don't have an ultimatum to issue. I'm, I'm there for a discussion where hopefully uh, we reach consensus instead of compromise. If your partner decides to date Donald Trump Jr., is that a is that a legitimate? That's a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> I can't answer that because this will go out in public, but I'm not necessarily going to veto that choice. There are reasons. I mean, like there is something what? to be said for watching that play out. There is something to be said to have a front row seat to that. Um, but no, I mean, my point is that there's probably some probably relatively small number of people you find really objectionable that you'd be like, no, this is not a person I want to be associated with even by proxy. I mean, don't a date really small number. Have you met me? It's yeah. there's a list. <laughs> I mean like individuals that you could name, not categories of people. I, I like, I have a, th I kind of have a little like self rule of, I will not date anyone younger than my children. <laughs> Um, so, which, which is the thing. Cause I was like, uh, like a mom, very young, like, you know, just like two days after I turned 20. And so it's yeah, so you have adult like, children now, okay, so it's actually a thing. Yeah. And I have the same. It is a thing. It is a, it is a thing. And, um, 
and like I, you know, I I I've missed that line by four months, <laughs> once, but um, it's it's a definite boundary I have for myself in terms of that that particular class of people. Not because they might not be awesome people, but it just squicks me out personally. <laughs> right, but I think the difference is if your partner wanted to date somebody, uh, right? Like, oh yeah. I've been in that situation. I'm like, you do you. Yeah. Right. Like, and and then there's going to be some category of people like, you know, yeah. Holocaust deniers, I guess are on that list for me. Right. Like (laughs) there's a few few types of people that I don't want to be associated with as a metamorph. And I think, you know, yeah. Like if my partner suddenly decides that that's who she wants to go after, I'll be like, cool. I'll see ya. Um, and you know, yeah, like, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, yes, I I agree with Ken that like, yeah, like don't put breaking up on the table unless that's one of your like several choices you're prepared to make. Because again, if you don't enforce your boundary, what is that boundary worth? Right. Or that veto. (laughs) So I I guess uh, like, I, I'm, I'm not really super clear on what where this group stands on. Is it appropriate at any point to set up a veto power with some, you know, with any sort of limited scope or not? Sometimes, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think a good dialogue is strongly preferable. Um, I can think of a situation where, in a past relationship. I at one point said, no, I do not feel comfortable with you seeing this person because that particular person was um, cheating on a monogamous spouse who thought, who didn't realize what was going on. But when I look back at that in retrospect, that I would have to enforce that with a partner is more of, was more of a red flag about the partner that I would have to kind of go in and say, no, you can't, I, I really am not comfortable with this happening. This is not right. This is, I have an ethical issue with this in a major way. It's like, I, I question myself more of going, yeah, that, that probably wasn't a healthy situation where I would have to do that. So I think ideally you should be able to have the kind of relationship with your partner where you can have an open dialogue about everyone's needs and what works um, as opposed to don't do this. Don't do that. Um, I think for me, but I know that things come up. Well, that's the thing. I think for me in, in sort of the philosophical or hypothetical world, I can certainly think of scenarios wherein uh, a veto type situation might be appropriate. I also know that with me personally, not only would I not issue a veto pretty much under any circumstance I can imagine, I wouldn't allow one to be issued upon me. That's one of the hills upon which I'll die. And, you know, it would be a discussion first. It would be me sort of saying, uh, I hear your objections. I understand. And I might decide to comply, but I, if it was attempted to be enforced or imposed upon me, I wouldn't take it super well, but nor would I impose it 
upon a partner. Like I certainly might raise objections or concerns or something, but I don't, I don't think I do. I don't think I'll ever see it. I guess I shouldn't say never, but I can't think of a scenario in which I see it is my job to impose something on someone else, even if I think it's designed to protect them from something, even if I object strenuously to the, to the, their own behavior. If it doesn't intersect with my boundary, if it's not, you know, uh, I have to do something now because of this, then it's not really my decision to, to make. I think it's, it behooves me to raise an objection or uh, provide more information if I think that they don't have it. But, um, but I don't think there's a situation where I get to say, you don't get to do that. And I certainly don't know of a situation, can't think of a situation wherein I accept someone saying that to me unilaterally. Yeah, so I'm a pretty strong proponent of having conversations about your concerns or information that you might have that you don't think your partner has for some reason early on, like in the first couple of dates before they realize like before they start seeing someone super formally when it's like oh we've gone out once or oh we're just thinking about going out if there's something that you know about the person that makes them objectionable it's not just that like mm, I don't like this person but there's something serious going on that they might not know about letting them know about it just in case they don't know but I'm not in favor of you can't ever see this person. Bye. <laughs> um, and if it's someone who you have a strong history with that causes you pain or damage to be around where the only recourse you have is then leaving if your partner gets seriously involved with them then sometimes that's the case and that's the proportionate response and that's what you have to do but there isn't in my opinion a really morally acceptable way to veto somebody once your partner starts seeing them you know like beforehand you can persuade you can present new information you can talk about it and sometimes just i'm uncomfortable for reasons x and y is enough to be persuasive to your partner uh, and to some people whose partners are less concerned with your discomfort are more concerned with oh I didn't know that but x and y make me uncomfortable that'll be enough too is there a uh, substantive difference I don't think there is but is does anybody else think there's a substantive difference or I rather I do think there is a substantive difference between you can't see them or if you see them that's a 
that crosses a boundary because of who they are personally, so I'm going to leave. You can see them if you wish, but the consequence is I'm no longer in our relationship. Is there a substantive difference there? I think there is. I think one is self-preservation of a boundary and the other is imposition of a veto. But I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say about that. That was my first question around this. And and I think that was the sort of earlier we said that that's a veto in a beard. Uh, and I, I mean, functionally, again, like your ultimate power is to leave. If you tell them you can't do this and they say, watch me, what is your recourse? Watch them do it or leave, right? Um, and if you watch decide to leave, do then it and leave. watch them do it and leave, right? Like that's really functionally you're saying the same thing even though you phrase it like i would phrase it as if you do this like that's going to cross the kind of boundary for me that would cause me to leave this relationship sure that is more explicit and better communication but i think practically the outcome is exactly the same and the wording is not that different so what i'm, I'm curious where you see the sort of functional difference here uh, I think the I functional think difference is I have tool. Uh, I have tools as a person to, if I was the kind of person who wanted to impose a veto, there are ways to make your partner feel real guilty for not complying with you pushing against that veto without you leaving. That's where you get into manipulation. That's where you get into things that are unhealthy and terrible, but are enforcing the veto. If you're just enforcing your own personal boundary and saying, look, you can do this thing, but this is the consequence. I don't think that's the same thing as a veto in fact, even if in practice, it means the end of the relationship because enforcing a veto can lead to edge cases of manipulation and guilt and things like that, that are designed to make the other person do what you want without you executing the leaving. It's a controlling mechanism rather than a protective boundary, I think. And I think that's the key difference in, uh, in like using the phrase veto power and people who do uh, utilize veto power is from most cases that I have seen, people who do utilize it are looking for a sense of control. They are looking to control their partner, whether they realize it or not, but most of the time they're very aware of it. <laughs> um, and that's why they have that veto power in place. Hmm. And it can be something that, is applied in so many different ways, not just like a relationship, but it could be um, specific things people do in other relationships. Like you're not allowed to have sex with other partners, like the one penis policy that is uh, commonly known, like that can be used as a type of veto power. So, right, I can see that distinction that basically you're not going to do sort of the right thing and say, okay, I'm going to impose this veto on you. And if you don't comply with it, I will leave. You say, I'm going to stay and make your life fucking miserable. And, uh, you know, and I'm not going to play this, you know, sort of in good faith, I guess. Right. Cause like, if you think about it, when you tell your partner, like, Hey, if you want to go do that thing that I'm really not comfortable about, I'm going to use self-preservation and I'm going to leave. Like you would hope that by, by sharing that these are things that hurt me, a person you're supposed to care about, that they will listen and take that into account. And I think also where compatibility come in, whether it's within you as two people or you 
in the types of relationships that you want to be in or have found yourself to be in like those are things to to keep in mind and use your self-awareness to pinpoint and identify what what is okay for you what's not okay for you and what kind of people you have in your life and I think a lot of the time the like manipulative uses or choices to not use like to threaten to use powers and then not use them happen later in relationships that are ongoing rather than earlier like their applications of official or unofficial hierarchy like it's the thing of an established relationship a longer relationship going oh but we have this rule so now you can't have discussions about things that that rule affects with your newer partner or oh I'm going to veto person who you've now been with for six months six months into it not okay fresh out of the gate you've been on one date with this person I'm going to express discomfort right like I think most people would sort of agree that it's an edge case that we all can debate about at one date in but I think once it's a real relationship fewer people are going to debate about whether or not it's reasonable to veto a relationship right like I think even Ken's argument about ultimatums from earlier, that ultimatums can be fine, he's less likely to apply to asking someone to end a relationship that's six months or further than that in. Right. If that, if that relationship was one that flexed or pushed against a boundary in the first place and it was allowed to move forward, I don't think it becomes fair to then impose that boundary that you flexed on early. Now, if the relationship changes and is now pushing up against a boundary, there's a discussion that has to happen or, or something. If, if a, a situation has become unsafe or dangerous or uh, problematic or abusive or whatever, you know, those are discussions that have to be had, but it all becomes much more complicated and much less it, it much less likely that, that exercising an ultimatum is, healthy effective or possible i think you gotta you gotta defend boundaries when the barbarians are at the gates not once they've already reached i don't know hypothetically like a capital building <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> hypothetically <laughs> do, do, do you date a lot of barbarians <laughs> i mean not a lot but like just the QAnon shaman <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a really interesting sort of uh, thing for me because, uh, you know, I, I, I have encountered a fair bit of like rule setting as trap setting and, uh, you know, the, the rules of that. But I also have seen one application of the veto power, or I should say I heard of it, but I was described to me in grave detail. And I think where it was appropriate, where the person in question had a... Essentially, they were not good at making those kinds of decisions for themselves. So they themselves said, I want to outsource this power to my partners. 
And then there was one instance where that veto power was applied and it seemed like it was applied sort of correctly. Now, so much I, side eye, so much side eye right now. <laughs> right. Like, and again, I, you know, I think because I'm not going to tell specifics of this, uh, this is probably going to go into the realm of like hypotheticals around I'm veto power. I'm this and I need to outsource an important function of relationships to my partner sounds so much like this person needs therapy instead of they rules did. and a partner outsourcing their tasks. I can't even. Right. Wait, asking right. for a friend, is this a job one can apply for or? <laughs> <laughs> no, like here's the thing, right? Like I can see that as a, you know, you realize you have a problem uh, you're still in the midst of like practicing non-monogamy and you want to have that like check-in of like this person seems like off what do you think of them before I jump into this uh, you know again like the way this was described to me is this person had dated like dozens of people and one of them got vetoed on the grounds of sort of details around that person but my point is, like, of all the poly people I have known, of all the poly situations I've ever heard of, this is the only one that, like, approached the idea of this was a legitimate use of a veto. Like, if, it, it, if, if it's going to be a thing, it's going to be that rare or more rare than that. Okay, so you're saying that if it's going to work, it's going to be incredibly rare. So, yeah, basically, everyone agrees that if this is going to be at all appropriate it's going to be incredibly rare for it to be at all appropriate um i would say that even like sort of ambush rule setting by primary partners is way more common than we'd like it to be i ended a relationship once a couple years ago now over uh, being invited for a game night that turned into an ambush rule setting by a metamor who sat there and listed rules for me that I hadn't been informed of in the six months that I'd been seeing this person. Uh, so it's real. It happens. Yeah. You the know. game was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there was risk. There was sorry. <laughs> Just, yeah, clearly we only play games monopoly. that are appropriate to what's happening. Definitely some diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, diplomacy is fun if you don't mind destroying your friendships. I don't. Um, so we we figured it out and like are friendly now. But we did the thing that, as Corwin will recall from our binge watch of polyamory married and dating, is called <laughs> transitioning our relationship to a friendship. Um, anyway, they, there's a whole sequence where they insist that polyamorous people don't break up, we just transition. That's a sentiment I have heard from like oh, self-described, no. you know, polyamory experts and people well-regarded in the community. 
But what that exactly means is... This is why I won't use the word expert, except that apparently I did on the podcast bio, so I need to rewrite it. Um, I think that was because I told you you should do it. That's because you rewrote it, yes. Um, (laughs) Because experts told you that it was okay? Yeah, it's because I was in the hospital and left him in charge of the website and he rewrote my bio. As an expert in uh, self-promotion and uh, internet horrory, I uh, corrected that particular oversight using my temporary authority. Yeah, except now it has my least favorite thing ever, which is calling oneself an expert in relationships, which is the opposite of what I am. No, no, no. I called you an expert in relationships, so you have cover. I'm someone (laughs) who has been making lots of mistakes for 13 years, and I basically think that the entire point of this is that when you step in dog shit, you don't throw your shoe out, you clean it off. So that's what we need to do here. <laughs> it really depends on the shoes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's uh, to me, there's always like the majority case and there's always the exception. And I can, I can see that uh, there was a writing on FET uh, by mm-hmm. somebody who was is like fairly well regarded as somebody who writes a lot about polyamory who said like look my wife knows me much better than anybody else and knows what's good for me and what's not good for me sometimes better than i do for myself so when my wife tells me don't date this person i really should listen and i have oh, learned this lesson over I've and over read and over that i've read and that I, i'm not saying i agree with that i'm not saying i disagree with that but it's a compelling point it is there there is always the argument where if all of your friends don't like the person you're dating. There's something about the person you're dating. But on the contrary, respect my authority. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Rule one, everybody has the right to fuck up their lives however they want and nobody should be able to tell them not to do it, right? Um, (laughs) The central point that we've managed to make somewhere along the way our foray into Ken somehow defending veto power while condemning veto power. Uh, politics, the art of the, the possible. <laughs> and the attack on the Capitol building. Um, yeah. Does anybody yeah. kind of like this, this vague sense of like doom this <laughs> way? I mean, it's, yeah. Look, yeah. we're just in the curtain call of 2020. It's fine. Um, the 21 holds, does not hold its own beers, right? It, <laughs> it, it does not like holding beers. It's not going to do it. The essential point that we've managed to make and that I will cut this to make in post is that basically boundaries are the points that we determine for ourselves of what we will and won't accept in our interactions with others as well as our interactions with the world and reinforcing them and enforcing them with others is a form of self-care and I wanted to thank all of you for talking about this really complicated topic that is going to be basically impossible 
to cut down to a length that anyone will listen to for this podcast, but I will do my very best. On a very and... special episode of the Ready for Am- Polyamory podcast, <laughs> a six-part <laughs> series. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to do it with not. a British accent because it's a BBC series at that point. Oh, yes, of course. No. Somebody hit him with something through the computer. Does anybody I'll narrate. You're the host. You can mute him if you want. I mean, all I've got is this thing from the Peloton. Will that work? Coy, blimey. (laughs) Excellent. It's not me. I'm all the way over here.